Matthew chapter 4. Start reading in verse number 12. How many of you got your Bibles this morning? Hold them up. Let's see them. Look at that. Glory. Hallelujah. That was much better than I thought it was going to be. If you don't have your Bible here today, remember, we've always got Bibles in the seats in front of you. You're certainly welcome and encouraged to follow along as I read. And if you need a Bible, take it. I'll give it to you. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse number 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Father God, I pray today that you would guide and direct as we just for a few moments now look at your word. I pray that uh, you'd uh, help us to put out of our minds any distractions. Uh, Help me to do the same. Help us, Father, to be filled with your spirit, me, that I might be able to preach uh, just what you once said here today. Uh, Every one of us that we might hear and be receptive to your word. So just guide this time. Help us, Father, to uh, hear what we need to hear. And act upon it, we pray. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Two fishermen who lived along the Sea of Galilee stood by the shore to cast their nets into an ageless sea. And now Jesus watched them from afar, then called them each by name. It changed their lives, these simple men. They'd never be the same. I want to speak to you this morning just for a few moments, specifically about verse number 19. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to suggest to you that he called them this morning to be fishers of men. I didn't say that right. I want to suggest to you this morning that he called them to be fishers of men. Or did he? Is that really what he called them to? We're going to start this morning. We're going to look at two different things as we unpack this this section. We're going to look, first of all, at the context. It's always important to know what's going on, what the context is of the passage. But then I do want to unpack that call just a little bit. And so just a two-point brief outline this morning. We're going to look at the context, and then we'll look at the call. The context is basically stated in verse number 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The phrase, from that time, kind of tells us, The context. It was a significant time in the life of Jesus Christ. It was a turning point. Think about some of the things that were happening at that time. Back to verse number 12, the very first verse we read, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And so the first thing we notice here is that John's ministry was over. This is John the Baptist that's been referring to. John the Baptist had had a very unique and 
interesting ministry. It was clear God was going to do something with John the Baptist from the very beginning, from the time that the angel Gabriel came and announced his birth. It was obvious that there was going to be something special about him. Gabriel had said he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was his ministry, and it was very special. He was the forerunner of the Savior. John said in John chapter 1, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And so John the Baptist's ministry had been to pave the way for the Lord Jesus Christ, to let people know that the Messiah was coming, to get people thinking about him and get them ready for him. And he had a very fruitful ministry. He preached to just about everybody. He baptized a tremendous number of people. He preached to the common people. He preached to the religious leaders of his day. He even preached to King Herod, the highest in the land. But whereas many of the common folks heard him, the religious leaders did not. And, of course, Herod was incensed when he preached to him and tossed him into prison, which is where we find him here. He's in prison because this is pretty much the end of his ministry. Very shortly after this now, if we continue reading in the Gospels, we'll see that he's going to be killed for his faithful proclamation of the Word of God. Here at the end of his ministry, he knew that... uh, It was this transitional time. It was this turning point. He told his disciples one day, he must increase. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And so that's where we are. John is in prison. His ministry is ending. And then in verse number 17, we see that Jesus' public ministry is beginning. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John's ministry is ending. Jesus' ministry is beginning. And it's interesting to me what Jesus did in getting the ball rolling here and getting things started. He started with some organizational stuff. According to verse number 13 there, he set up his headquarters. He moved to Capernaum. Now, uh, some of us have been to Capernaum. Those of us who have gone to Israel, we've been there, and we know that it's a very interesting city. And one of the very first things that you notice when you come to the city of Capernaum in Israel is that there's a big fence that is kind of marking the border of the city. And on that fence is a big sign that says, The Town of Jesus. And it was called the Town of Jesus because it was his headquarters. He spent more time there than any place else, and it was kind of the place from which he went out and uh, served so many uh of the rest of his, uh, of his ministry activities. There's a synagogue in Capernaum where he preached, where he healed the man with the withered arm. It was in Capernaum that he healed the centurion's servants. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 8. In Capernaum today, there are ruins of a house, which was Peter's house. Uh, so you go to Israel today, and there'll be some things that they're not really sure if this is really the exact site, but Peter's house is one that they're absolutely certain that that is where it was. Many amazing things in the gospel took place in that house. You stand and you look down into that. And so here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see him leaving Nazareth and moving to Capernaum to set up his headquarters going forward. He did something else. In verse number 17, it says that he began to preach. He began to preach. When we think of the ministry of Jesus, I think we think of several different things. 
And it did consist of some different things. Peter was preaching to Cornelius, and he described Jesus' ministry like this. He said that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. His ministry, therefore, consisted of good works. He went about doing good, wood, good, and it also consisted of healings and of miracles, casting out demons, all, all these kinds of things we think of. But even more central to Jesus' ministry was he preached. He preached the good news. Over and over we read this. Just down a few more verses. Look at verse 23. We didn't read that far, but the very next verse. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He preached. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. So where healings and miracles and doing good all were a vital part of his ministry, preaching was significant, perhaps the primary part of his ministry. And so here we see that his preaching had begun. And the message he preached is interesting. It was repent. For he is here. John the Baptist had said, repent, for he is coming. Jesus said, repent, for he is here. I am here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. So he began by organizing and setting up his headquarters. He began to preach. He did something else, verses 18 through 22. He started assembling his team. started assembling his team. He called Simon and Andrew. And he called James and John. We know as we continue reading, we don't see it here, but as we continue reading, we know he would call eight others, which would make up the twelve apostles, before he had his entire team assembled. So here's Jesus beginning his public ministry, and he starts by setting up his headquarters. He begins preaching, and he begins assembling his team. That's, that's the context. John the Baptist's ministry was over, and Jesus' ministry was beginning. Jesus had set up his headquarters in Capernaum. He had begun preaching and he had begun assembling his team, which would eventually grow to include 12 apostles. That's the context. That's what's happening. So let's look at that call in the midst of this, as he's doing this. Verse number 19, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. All of the four men mentioned that he called here were fishermen. Capernaum was a fishing Community. It was located on the north, is located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus' call was worded in a way that would have had very specific meaning to them. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They knew Jesus, they knew fishing, and, and so here's Jesus calling them to leave fishing for fish and start fishing for men. And it's a call, by the way, and I think our sister Tina mentioned this pretty well this morning. It's a call by, that, that applies to all of us. All of us are called in this same way. Whatever our worldly occupation may be, we are called to be fishers of men. And we have many occupations in this room this morning. We have, uh, we have carpenters in this room. We have uh, first responders in this room. We have firemen in this room. We have teachers in this room. We have nurses in this room. I mean, we just, just about everything that you could say. We even have a few preachers of the gospel in this room. There's lots and lots of different occupations that are mentioned here. But the fact is, whatever our worldly occupation might be, we're all called to be fishers of men. 
This applies to all of us. Tina mentioned her ministry this morning, and her ministry this morning is fishing for men. We praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for the privilege of partnering in her, in her ministry. But, but, but whatever that ministry might be, whether it was over in Borneo or wherever, or now ministering to missionary kids, she is fishing for men. Last week we heard a report from Josh and Elena how much they want to get over to Ireland and, and begin their ministry of fishing for men over there. Sean and Mary Ann's young son just preached a sermon. I just heard about this. He just got to preach a sermon in India. He's over there fishing for men. Oftentimes, when we think that this call of this call of Jesus, we think that that it that is all about uh, the apostles, and it only applied to the apostles. But it applies to all of us. It applies to all of us. All of us are called. Jesus, upon returning to heaven after his resurrection, said, "All authority has been given to me, in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. It applies to all of us. We're all to be fishers of men. We took that verse, by the way, many years ago now, and we turned it into our mission statement for Friendship Bible Church. We shortened it and made it a little easier for us to say, but it says the same thing. Our mission statement is go and make disciples and do it everywhere and do it until Jesus comes. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. So, if this call from Jesus applies to us, we need to make sure that we understand just what it is. What is he calling us to? I noticed here that his call to Simon and Andrew and James and John consisted of two parts. Did you notice that? There's actually two parts to the call. There was a requirement. Then he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. That was their part in it. That was the requirement. And then there was a promise. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was his part in the thing. That was the promise. I'm going to guess, and I may be wrong here, but I'm going to guess that when, when many of you hear a sermon like this and you hear the preacher stand up and say, you're supposed to be fishers of men, God is calling you to do this, the Great Commission applies to you, that your mind immediately goes to the, I can't do that place. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands, but I'm going to guess that there's an awful lot right here that are thinking that right now. That immediately your mind goes to, I'm terrible at public speaking. I don't like public speaking. Well, who really does? Not too many people really do. Your mind goes to places like, you know, I don't really know enough of the Bible to sufficiently share the gospel. At least that's what you tell yourself. So your mind goes to all these different places. But the thing I think we need to understand is there were all kinds of tasks associated with fishing. Fishing is not just necessarily preaching the gospel. Fishing could be all kinds of things. I mean, think about it here. There were all kinds of tasks associated here. Now, when Jesus called these men to become fishers of men, uh, it, it was not necessarily a call to speaking. It might be, but it wasn't necessarily that. I mean, think about it. Our sister Sue Goodyear fishes for men every week, sitting behind the desk in the office doing things that you guys have no idea, this church would just roll up and die if it wasn't for Sue Goodyear in the office, fishing for men. Our sister Sharon Elmer's the same, but she balances the checkbook and pays the bills. Yesterday, we had an army of women standing downstairs in our little tiny kitchen, cooking breakfast for the men's prayer breakfast. 
Uh, they were fishing for men. Actually, they kind of looked like fish. Sardines crammed into that little tiny kitchen down there. We have Sunday school teachers who love your kids and pray for your kids and prepare lessons for your kids. They're fishing for men. We have deacons who fish for men by keeping the lights lit. Every time I say that, I look up and there's a light out. But I don't see one out this time. Keeping the lights lit, the parking lot plowed, the sidewalks cleaned, and just all that kind of stuff. We, we have an amazingly talented worship leader who apparently is appreciated a lot by other people. And her wonderful praise band, and they're all fishing for men. All these things are examples of what I think Jesus calls us to do, to fish for men. Some cast the net. Some, as James and John here, sit in the boat and mend the net. Did you notice that that was part of it as well? There's all kinds of things that make up fishing, and uh, it's all fishing. Thank God we're not all called to be preachers. We drive each other crazy. Believe me, you, you wouldn't want to be in a room full of preachers. Now, this church is not what it is today because of my preaching from up here. I mean, that might be part of it, but no more than God uses the men who hand out the bulletins at the door or, or the brothers and sisters who pray on Wednesday evenings during our prayer meeting. All these things are fishing for men. So, yes, we're called to be fishers of men, but don't let that stop you and don't let that make you think that you have to stand in a pulpit and preach. There's all kinds of things that make a preaching. But here's the real kicker. After I said all that, we're not actually called to be fishers of men. I mean, did you read the verse? That's not what he called them to do. He called them to follow him. And then he promised that he would make them fishers of men. You know, if you study these apostles sometime, you find out that they were uh, not very remarkable individuals. As a matter of fact, the only thing that is remarkable about the disciples is that they were not remarkable. They were just people like you and me. Some of them were kind of goofballs. Simon here, who's called, who would, Jesus would rename him Peter. He's one of my favorites, brash, loudmouth, always sticking his foot in his mouth. I, I see way too much of myself in Peter. One of these days I look forward to meeting him. Thomas, gloomy Gus Thomas, always down, always doubting. James and John, glory hounds, James and John, always wanting, you know, they, they wanted the, the seats right next to Jesus when he gets to heaven, seeking the fame and the glory. There was nothing special about these guys. They were just men. They were not exceptional in any way. And yet Jesus called them. He called them. And he called them to follow him. He called them to follow him. And then he promised to make them fishers of men. That order is so significant. We have to think about that order. He called us to follow. We follow. He promises to make us fishers of men. Yesterday morning I mentioned we had our, our men's prayer breakfast. Always a wonderful time. Trudy and her army did a, a wonderful job, as always. And our brother Don Richards provided the, the uh, devotional. I told him I was going to pick on him this morning. And he did a wonderful job. This past Wednesday evening, we had prayer meeting, and our elders, we, we rotate through and do the prayer meetings, uh, you know, in a rotation. And this week, this past Wednesday, was Don's night for that as well. And so he got two, two times this week. I came away from prayer meeting this past Wednesday, and I told Don afterwards, I said, I think that was one of the best prayer meetings that we've ever had. And his message was one of the best that's ever been provided here. But Don would be the very first to admit that it was not always so. Don was not always that good at fishing. 
I, I remember when Don first came to this church. And I remember, and I, and I, and I already told him I was going to say this, so I hope, I hope it's okay if I crack on you a little bit. But Don could barely read when he came to this church. He would stand up and he would try to read in public and it was just halting and difficult and he just, he struggled with it so much. Don was anything but a public speaker. And he mentioned that yesterday morning to the man in prayer meeting. Her prayer breakfast. But now today, you know what? He's getting stinking good at it. And I'm unaware, Don, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm unaware that he's gone off to Bible college and taken any training. I'm unaware that he's done anything other than obey this call. He's following Jesus, and Jesus is making him a fisher of men. Brothers and sisters, if we get that order wrong, we're going to fall flat on our face. But if we get that order right, if we just answer the call to follow Him, we can sit back and watch as He makes us into fishers of men. Concentrate on following Him. You'd be amazed at what He'll do. I see that, that thought several times in the Bible. I've, I've mentioned before that my life verse is Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. But I've also mentioned that there's a, another verse that's a close second right behind it. If I wasn't claiming Jeremiah 33, 3, I'd claim this one. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse number 16. 1 Timothy 4 says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Paul was admonishing Pastor Timothy there. And he was telling him basically the same thing. He was telling him, pay attention to two things in your life. First of all, your walk with God. And secondly, your preaching of the gospel. In that order. Your walk with God and then your preaching of the gospel. I think it's the same thing that Jesus was saying. Follow me. Get that right first. And I will make you fishers of men. If we will just follow, he will make us fishers. So there's the challenge for today. Follow him and watch him turn you into a fisher of men. So I have some questions in closing. And here's the first one. Have you followed Jesus? Have you? Somewhere along the line, you have to take a first step. Somewhere along the line, you have to step out out of the road. Somewhere and sometime, you have to have gotten in line behind Jesus. If you're going to be able to answer that, yes. Have you followed Jesus? And here's what that means. That means somewhere along the line, you have to have recognized that you were lost. You have to have recognized that you were a sinner and, 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 and lost and in need of a Savior. Somewhere along the line, you had to have uh, heard the truth. That Jesus died on the cross for you to forgive those very sins uh, that, that made you lost. And somewhere and sometime you had to have called out to him and asked him to be your Savior. None of those steps can be left out. None of those things can be missing. If you're going to answer that question right, have you followed Jesus? So have you done that? Can you honestly remember a time? Honestly, remember a time uh, when you knew what it was like to be lost, when you came to this realization in your mind. Do you remember that? When you came to a realization in your mind that, that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. Have you ever been there? See, it, 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 it happens to nobody automatically. It happens to nobody by chance. Nobody can say, I have always been saved. Nobody can say that I've always followed Jesus. That's a lie. And if that's what's in your mind, it's Satan that's putting it there. It's not the truth. You have to have come to a place 
where you knew you were a sinner and you made a decision to start following Jesus. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. John 1.12 says, as many as received him to them gave he the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. Romans 10.13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. All of those things tell us the same thing, that it doesn't happen automatically. You have to come to a place where you recognize your loss and you believe and you receive and you call upon him and ask. For that salvation. So have you done that? Have you done that? If you have not, please do it today. We're going to sing in just a few moments. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I mean, if you have never taken that first step in following Jesus, I'm going to ask, don't even start to sing. Forget the singing. When we start to sing in a minute, stand up and walk up here and let somebody take the Bible and show you, answer your questions, help you to come to that place where you are following Jesus. Have you done that? This is, this is serious stuff. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Your eternity rests on this. This is a matter of life or death for you if you have not yet trusted Jesus. That's the first question. Have you followed him? But here's the second question. Are you following? Are you following him right now? Maybe you know in your heart of hearts that uh, you've taken that first step. You know that you, there was that day. You remember that time. You know that you trusted Christ, and you believe that you're saved. You know that you're born again. Holy Spirit indwells you. All that stuff is good. But are you following him now, every day, in every way? Are you following him the same on Monday as you do on Sunday? It's easy to be a follower of Jesus sitting here on these cushy chairs, isn't it? How about Monday? Are you following him at work? The same as in church? Are you following him in front of your family? Your spouse? Your children? Your parents? Are you following him at school? Do your neighbors see you following him? Does your boss know you follow him? I'm always convicted by a particular description of Peter. It's at the end of the, of the gospel accounts, and it's, it's during those dark days when Peter denied knowing Jesus. You remember that story. We won't turn there right now. But there's just one particular phrase. Jesus had been arrested, and uh, right at the point when, when Peter was getting ready to deny him, and right before that, in Matthew 26 and verse number 58, it says that Peter followed him at a distance. At a distance. And I think too many Christians who have taken the first step in following Jesus are now following him at a distance, or afar off, as the King James would say. And so are you one of those? Are you following him? And I'm going to suggest, if, if you have to say yes to that, that you do the exact same thing. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And, and, and again, same thing with you. Don't sing. Don't, don't start singing. Step out. Come to the front and kneel here and say, Lord God, forgive me and help me to get back to following you. Help me to follow you, even if you haven't been, even if you've been following at a distance. Step out and follow him, and then watch and see if he doesn't make you into a fisher of men.